So great to see you all again. Um, isn't this a strange time? And if you remember, which I'm sure you do, my last sermon in March before lockdown, you've committed it to memory. You remember it, don't you? But I'll just jog your mind in case you've forgotten. Um, we're doing a, ser- a series on uh, church and the glory of church, and we've called it the Bride of the Priest, because the great high priest is Jesus, and we're married to him. Every Jesus-centered, baptized um, church member is a part of the bride of the high priest, Jesus, which is why we read from Psalm 133, which is about unity, which just falls down in the power of the Spirit off the, the priest and onto us. Jesus is what makes church, church. Jesus is our hope this morning. And that's why we're now carrying on as if nothing's happened with our series in the Bride of the Priest. And the title this morning is The Word of the Priest. The Word. And I just want to explain what that is, what it means, and why it's essential that the word of the priest has like an elevated place in our hearts and minds this morning. So the bride of the priest, uh, the great marriage of all. Now, if there are any young boys here, my two aren't here, but I was raised, uh, you know, when I was told one day, you you might meet a girl, and what will happen is she will be your queen and you'll lay down your life for her, Owen, like a proper man. And every married person here is now nodding who's a man. I am married to the queen. And not a day goes by where I am not staggered and breathless every time I see her. Because she is wonderful. To me, I would lay down my life for her. That's a, an amazing marriage, isn't it? Um, and then I was told, Owen, if... You fall in love with a small lady, small is your type, because she's it now, that's it. And if uh, they uh, change shape, whatever shape they morph into, Owen, that's your standard of absolute beauty. She is it. Um, If she dyes her hair green, you love green hair, Owen, because that's true love. Um, That's now your standard. If she teaches maths, maths teachers are your standard of the ideal woman. Um, If she puts the hoover on whilst you're watching match of the day, you love, you love ladies who put the hoover on whilst you watch match of the day because she is your queen and you'd lay down your life for her. That's it. If, no, I won't do that one. No, I won't. I had one more, but I won't. It's getting close to home. Um. And what happens is, ideally, people will peer into your um, relationship and the way you treat each other in marriage and think, there's something to that, you know. There's no abuse. There's no um, hatred. There's forgiveness and peace. And that speaks healthy volumes to the people in your area. Now, none of us have got the ideal marriage, and we all need daily forgiveness and improvement there. But when marriage is done well, it's a wonderful picture of Jesus and his marriage to the church, which is why he tells us to do it well and act like him if we are married. 
Um, it's a picture of what Jesus does on a global level and the message that he gives off to the world. When church and Jesus connect, it gives off healthy vibes to a dying world, just like a local marriage can. And it's only through Jesus and his bride that the world really changes for good. It's only through Jesus speaking through his bride on planet earth that hearts are truly changed, properly changed. Because, according to Psalm 133, the church has something special, life-changing. It's anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. And that anointing just brings life and flourishing in order to live the way the Lord Jesus wants us to. That's why church changes the world, because it displays Jesus. And I want us all, under my tenure here, to become closely bonded together around Jesus, which will bring us closer together, because our main aim is to forget the other stuff that divides us. We're united around him, and he'll help us work on those other things. That's glorious. That's a glorious marriage. And I want us to be servants of him and one another here in any way we can. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen anyone dying, but I've noticed with um, dying people, they throw out in their last moments things that aren't very important to them anymore. They don't really cling to and want to be surrounded by trivia things in their last moments on planet Earth. I've noticed invariably people like to be surrounded by, if it's possible, friends, family, maybe church members. You very rarely um, keep trivia stuff in those last moments. What's really interesting, just to prove how special church is, and that what we're doing here is, and what we're a part of is, what did Jesus keep when he went to the cross and faced judgment? Well, what did he throw out? Well, a few things, I guess, but what did he keep? What did he keep going with and for? It's his bride, the church. For he went through these things, Hebrews says, to the joy that was set before him. He suffered punishment to win his bride and to present her on the last day faultless before the whole universe. Here is my bride. There's nothing more precious to me than my church and how it's changed planet Earth. Here she is. And it's a bit like the um, Lion King scene where is it Simba gets held up and all the animals are bowing down? Have you seen that one? The 90s one, not the new rubbish one. The proper one, the cartoon. And Jesus is going to lift the bride up in front of the whole world saying, I've cleaned them up. Look at them now. Shining. Nothing else. Nothing outlasts church. All right? So that's the marriage of Jesus and, uh, and us, really. Um, just to hammer this bit home before we get to the place of his words, just to keep us wanting to understand how glorious church is. I don't know if you ever played football growing up. 
But some captains wouldn't pick you if you, like, weren't very good. You remember that in the playground? Any of you ever last pick for the team? Oh, Richard, I'm sorry. Nick? No, I'm surprised. Like, oh, he's got too many faults. He can't be part of my team. It's funny because in, when we do in our daily readings in church at the moment on the internet, we the other day read about Peter, who really let Jesus down, like acted like he didn't know him, basically contributed to the murder of Jesus. And then when Jesus rises again, I don't know if you know this bit, you, you do obviously, he, Jesus goes, go and tell Peter, I am alive again. It's like, you'd think he'd be last on the list. Go and, oh, is this touching my cheek? Is that what's making a noise? Oh, no. Go and tell Peter, like, because of his faults, I want you to go and tell him the good news. I'm back. And it's for him. People like him. So basically, God the Father is the manager of the world. He's appointed Jesus to be captain. And Jesus picks... Picks faulty, sinful people to be part of his bride, the greatest movement in the world. And the point is this, so they can flourish now. I'll sort them out. I'll take their sins and their death and their failings. And in this marriage, I'm going to make them flourish. Flourish as church people. And Peter does. He goes on to flourish in the book of Acts. So, all that to say... All right, Owen, if that's the bride and being saved is to join church and become more like Jesus, how this morning does that affect me? How can I really flourish in church life? How can we in this area really speak to the surrounding area so this church just explodes as a glorious picture of that marriage which is everlasting? Good question. Well, I've got, the, I've got some answers for you for the rest of this talk. <clears throat> How do we change the world? Okay, the key feature in the life of the church is, and this is the title, the word of our priest has to feature very highly in this church and part of our lives, very highly. Um, so in lockdown, the one thing I've tried to do is Get the word into our lives through internet, songs, Bible studies, newsletters, word of mouth, sharing, making sure that we're all trying to keep in touch as best as we can, all just bringing a focus back to the priest and enjoying his word and living it out. So the word of the priest um, has to be part of this bride here, otherwise we won't flourish. The word of the priest. So, all right, Owen, what's the word? Good question. I've got an answer for that one too. The fancy word, there's a fancy word, logos, like logic, um, purpose, foundation. That's what we translate as the word. The word. And sometimes it just flat out means in the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, the word. Have that as a highly esteemed place in your church. Um, so just to pause there a second... I want you now to think of some books that have made an impact in your life, perhaps more than ever. Think now in your mind the top two books of all time, not the Bible yet, we'll get to that in a bit. Just think about that. Why did it change your life and how did it change your life? What words did it say which really gripped you 
and put you in there. So you have a think about that. <clears throat> what was it about? How did it involve you and put you right there in it? You thinking? I'd be actually interested to know some of your top few books. A few Christmases ago, I said to all my family, you buy me your number one favorite book of all time. <clears throat> and it was an interesting thing to do for a Christmas list. So what was yours? Well, basically, there's tons of words this morning trying to capture your attention, your minds, and your hearts. So there's loads of fiction, there's loads of books, there's loads of words, but there's also pop songs which speak words, and they're trying to grip you and pull you into their way of life. It's a word that you must follow. So Justin Bieber, he has, he's always um, speaking in his songs ways that he thinks we should live and how to spend our spare time. Ed Sheeran does it. He, they give words. You might flick on the news this afternoon. Boris Johnson giving deep advice and words to follow so that you begin to obey and do what he says because he believes his words are correct. Jose Mourinho, the Tottenham Hotspur manager at halftime, gives a word. And if you follow my word, you will live and win this match sometimes. All these words to listen and obey. So what was it about your favorite book? What sort of message did it have to really reel you in? These are words. And the Holy Scripture is a word. But who's the author? That's an interesting one. Because really there's 40 different authors to this Bible. They never really met. But they're all saying the same word. The same word because they had the Spirit of God working in them as they wrote. So essentially, Park End, this book here only has one author, and that's God. And so the author's never going to die. I read um, last week, I'm going through book, famous books that I should have read and I haven't. So I've just done To Kill a Mockingbird, and Harper Lee... I think she died a few years ago. 2018, she died. I've now moved on to Grapes of Wrath uh, with Steinbeck, I think, isn't it? Dead. He's dead. Uh, lots of authors die. I don't know if you've noticed that. Eventually, they do. Maybe your favorite book's author is dead. But this author of this word, he's not dead because it's God, really, working through people um, with his spirit. Basically, he can do a book signing for you every single day that you get involved with this word. He'll just meet you and make it alive and like make it personal just for you and your church that day. You can come every single day and have a, a signature that he has met you there in those pages. This word should be actually higher than even Grapes of Wrath by Steinbeck or Anna Karenina by Tolstoy. Um, this Bible. So that's sort of what the word means. So that was quite simple, really. Uh, just make sure the Bible's in your life and do what it says. But here's the second bit of what is the word. And this bit's crucial. Because no one will really ever elevate the Bible in their lives or actually in church and obey it unless we get the second meaning of word or logos sorted. 
This will just be an interesting book which you might occasionally read, but it won't be lived out, and it won't speak to this environment. And if you're facing worry with COVID or sins or, or death or your job, you won't really get involved with this book. It'll just gather dust on the shelf unless we sort out the second bit of the word of the priest and ask what it is. Because this book is also a living book. Or this word is a living word. And it can live with us. That's a fact. It can live today with us. So what is the second bit then, Owen? Well, Genesis, which Malcolm mentioned, speaks of a word at the very beginning which contributed to the creation of the world and everything in it. Then you fast forward to John chapter 1, who also speaks of this logos or logic or word, who became a human and took on flesh. So this word then, logic or reason, it now starts to take a really physical form. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In Hebrews 1, it says this, the word or logic of God, holds everything in the universe together. Now, that's not just a book. If this Bible is about all about that Word who holds all things together, now we begin to think big about the place that this Word should have in our lives and in our church. And if it's about a logic or logos, a word, who can hold the entire universe together, then you start to think, oh, right, okay, he can handle my Mondays. Maybe I should listen to what he says. Maybe I should start bringing it into church a bit more and thinking about it more. Now, let me uh, throw a few questions out at you, because you're whiz kids in Park End. Um, I'm starting to teach in church in little groups at the moment, a theological course called the Frameworks course, which is just about the frameworks of life and of God to get our thinking straight. And hopefully I'm going to teach it to everyone in church eventually. But a question came up to my little groups this week, and it was this. Do the laws of nature hold the universe together? So I'll let you think about that, and I'll just have a quick sip of water while you figure that one out. The girls have got it. You figure that out. Do the laws of nature hold the universe together? Anyone going to brave it and nod or shake their head? You're not. You're all standing or sitting really still. You're, maybe you're not allowed to move, actually, because of COVID. I see why you're not answering. Yep, got it. Modern people answer that um, explanation. They, they basically explain everything in life. It's just the laws of nature. And you're like, okay, but what does that mean? Ah, oh, it's just laws. Just what they do. But really, like, if they're laws, who wrote them? If there's a law, there's a logic to everything. Who wrote it? Who upholds it? Who enforces it? I got another question. Are we to imagine that the basic elements of the universe, which Malcolm handles every week in his videos, um, are we to imagine those starry skies and everything are self-governing and self-organizing? You ever think that? Do you like ponder these things? 
at night before you go to sleep? The logic behind everything. What is it? Here's another one. Do atoms just know how to organize themselves and to behave? Do they just know it? Why do they so reliably behave the same way every time? Now, in Park End Church, we do not, we are no longer satisfied with, that's just the way it is. Don't know, I'll get on with my day now, living in this logical universe, but never really caring much about why it's logical. Those days are over. Because if Hebrews is true, it's all being held together by a word and logic. I got a couple more. Bear with me. Can you see the number seven? Because maths is a really, really complicated and philosophical subject. Can you see the number seven? <laughs> Someone in the frameworks group just drew a seven on a piece of paper and held it up to the zoom camera. All right, is that, is that seeing the number seven? One more. Can you weigh the number 153? Bruce is like, I know this. Yeah, he saw it. Can you weigh the number 153? Because Numbers seem to be something that only exists in our minds, sort of, yet the universe clearly runs mathematically and logically. Did you know that there are specific mathematical formula that describe all kinds of features of the world around us? And we've just given expression to the logic and we use numbers. How can that be? How can that be? Well, in both the book of Genesis and John's Gospel, Jesus, Jesus is introduced as the Logos, the Word, the Authority, the Beginning, and the End, and everything in the middle. He is the logic of the universe. Everything is about Him, from Him, and for Him. And for that reason, there's such complexity and diversity. He, to put it for you techie guys, has been described as the operating system of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, at Christmas, that very first Christmas, what we have there is the very life, soul, light, and logic of the universe became a human being. So Jesus says, this written text, Moses, the prophets, everything, it's just about me. It's all about me. And that's why it's life-changing. It's all about me. And I hold you in the palm of my hand. I've got the universe sorted. You're a bit more tricky, but I'll handle you as well. I can do it. So with back to Justin Bieber, Boris Johnson, and Jose Marino. Whose word is really life-changing for the big things and little things in life? Who's really going to change this church for glory? Who's really going to cause us to flourish? It's the one who says, do what I say and you'll live. I'm a vine. You're the branches. Just get connected to me. Obey my word as Paula read. And you will live. I am the logic and reason of every human being, which is why to not follow me is illogical and death 
It's just death and darkness. If you're worried about life at the moment, elevate Jesus. Tap into the church here as we teach. We do liturgy. We do songs. We do fellowshipping together. It all should involve the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me word it another way to bring it personally as we sort of wrap all this up. During lockdown, did you let the teaching or the word of Jesus change you for good? Because how can this area be changed if we're not letting him change us? I know some people in lockdown who have become much more Jesus-centered in their thoughts and deeds. And I've been trying to be a better husband, pastor, uh, father in lockdown. And two things hit me really powerfully from the word of the Lord God. Here's one of them. I'm just sharing now personally how it, it's helping change me. I keep reading back to this when we read Proverbs 12. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Now, just to open up live on air to the viewers, I get really anxious about pastoring churches, dealing with people, and now I've got children. They've just contributed enormously to my anxious disposition. Like, what about them and their future and lockdown, and are they going to be safe, and I don't even want to let them out myself. I'm, I'm that kind of guy. But here, the words of the one who holds the whole universe together says, that stuff's just going to weigh you down. It's going to shrink you. Come to me. Trust me with that stuff. I got another one. Maybe one for the husbands here. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. I was like, every day I woke up and I'm, I've got like these selfish desires. Then I remember, no, I've got to serve now, serve my church, serve my family. And Proverbs 15 says, don't strive. Don't be hot-tempered. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Live like me today. The word of the priest, he says this, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This word, this logic, this Jesus heals. He raises the dead. He sorts out our lives. Now, I just wanted to end. I don't know how long I've been, but you haven't been here for months, so you're like, carry on, Owen. Go on for hours. Don't worry about the lunch. Okay, let's do it. I wanted to ask the, the children a question and then end with some prayer points for us as a church. Children, um, if a poodle has a fight with a lion, who's going to win? We think it's the lion. Guess what? Every member in this church is a poodle. Basically, we're pretty weak. Anything knocks us over. And the devil in the Bible is called a lion. So who's going to win a fight, the poodle or the lion? Well, in and of himself, if the poodle reaches for inner strength to take on life's big problems and evil and sin and death, the poodle is going to get eaten with his little haircut and everything. He's just going to be eaten in one go, isn't he? There he goes, his little ribbon, he, in, just in, devoured. 
What's the poodle's only chance of truly flourishing in the face of a lion? It's not to look inside and that word, it's all in you, just bring it out. No, it's like, no, the poodle needs supernatural help to conquer life and its problems from an objective, powerful source. That's how poodles survive. And that's why my closing prayer is, well, I got a couple. Um, why do we desperately need every day to pray that Jesus would be our supernatural objective source to handle every single day? Every day. Why? All right. Um, here's two points to close. I'll just skip some there. Um, this is more close to home than you think. This battle to be Jesus-centered in this part. Here's an interesting prayer. Ephesians 6. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel of Jesus for which I am in chains. Pray that I may fiercely talk about Jesus the way I should. There's a poodle, the Apostle Paul, and he's one of the best among us, and he's still a poodle in desperate need to do what? Get supernatural help to lift up Jesus. And if he needs it, we need it. We've got to pray together for that. Why have numbers dropped off in Park End over the years? It's a good question. Now we're really close to home. Because if Jesus is lifted up and he promises he's going to draw all men to himself and he can change this city, why have numbers dropped off? Well, if we take the Apostle Paul seriously, one of the reasons is this, because naturally we're all wimps. We're all wimps. And living for Jesus and his word is tough for us. And it's even harder to tell other people about how amazing Jesus is. So we basically probably have stopped telling people with our words about the word of the priest, which, is, which brings life. And when we stop doing that, churches shrink. So we're wimps when it comes to this subject of the word of the priest. So we all must pray. We're not all wimps, but I know I am. And here's another reason. Another prayer to close. Hebrews 13 verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. In other words, in the, the days where that letter was written, the message to the church was, you know your leaders? They've lived it out. Live like them. They've been Jesus-centered. Live like them. And there's another problem, because it's so tough. Not only are we wimps, and not only am I wimp, I'm so often a hypocrite. And the word of Jesus that I so believe in, I so rarely live out. Is that your story as well? So during the week, it's like we live different words. We live to a different word than the word of the priest. And so there's two prayers there for all of us, because we're in this together. For those of us that are wimps when it comes to just lifting the glorious Logos Jesus up, pray for us. For those of us who attempted to sin massively during the week and live hypocritical lives, pray for us. Because when that battle is won, this church will flourish. You will flourish and I will flourish.
My last story is about one of our great forefathers who wasn't a wimp, and he did flourish. And then I'll close. There was a man in 150 AD, and he was the Bishop of Smyrna, which is in Turkey. And he was the apprentice of none other than the Apostle John. And he was trained by John. And this was the reign of Marcus Aurelius during the Roman Empire. And this chap's name was, anybody want to hazard a guess? Um, Polycarp. Have you heard of Polycarp? We a nod from the front. One of our great forefathers, Polycarp. Well, Polycarp, he was 86 years old. And one day, during his 86th year, or 87th year, 85th year. Well, anyway, he was 86 years old. Marcus Aurelius had him arrested for being a Christian, for standing for the word and preaching him. And he was brought before the Roman proconsul called Quadratus. Now, if you're called Quadratus, you're just instantly a bad guy. And you're right, he was a nasty piece of work, Quadratus. And he was representing the emperor. So Polycarp is basically just walked slowly because he's hunched. He's 86 years old now. And in 155 AD, that's no small thing. And he's sort of brought before Quadratus, faced with the charge of being a Christian and stirring up others against the religion of Rome. Which, and the religion of Rome was um, Kaiser Ho Curios. Caesar is Lord. Okay? So if you're out there preaching Jesus you're in big trouble. So he's brought before Quadratus, and he's waiting at home, actually, just before that happened, because he's under home arrest, and he's waiting for his trial, and he has a vision. He has a dream. And in this vision, he's in flames, being burned alive for being a Christian. And he heard in his heaven a word, in his dream, a word from heaven, which says, which said, Polycarp, play the man. And then he woke up. Incidentally, if you fast forward to the 16th century in England, three bishops were martyred. Um, uh, Latimer, Ridley, and Thomas Cramner burned at the stake. And um, I think it was Latimer uh, turned to Ridley and said, just as the flames were being lit, play the man, Mr. Ridley, for we will be in glory together soon. A flame will light here, which will bring a candle which will never be extinguished in Europe. Anyway, that was then. Back to Polycarp. So Polycarp's had this dream. He's now arrested and he's taken to the arena, the public arena. And the stands were packed with hostile crowds, including Jews who hated Jesus and pagans who resented and hated Christianity and Jesus. Uh, and Jesus. Quadratus um, didn't feel right executing an old man. Ah, So he gave him a chance to get out. And he said, all you have to do in front of everybody now is to deny Jesus Christ and say he's not Lord. Say Caesar is Lord. And then you can go home. But Polycarp just shook his head and said, no. Quadratus said, I have wild beasts here in this arena which I can feed you to. So deny Christ. Say he's not Lord. But, this is quite funny actually, 
this was just after, I don't know if you know Roman law, but it was just after they had banned execution by lions. <laughs> now they just preferred burning you at the stake instead. So they were on the way of civilized culture. But um, Polycarp knew the law had just been passed, and he reminded Quadratus that he couldn't actually do that legally. He alerted him to that one. So Quadratus just said, okay, I'll burn you at the stake. Then Polycarp said, for some reason he looks like Yoda from Star Wars in my head, just to set the scene. Um, he said to him, be that as it may, your fire will last no more than an hour, and then it will be quenched. But the fires that you will face under God's judgment will never go out. Quadratus said, you can spare yourself one last time if you say to your followers of the Nazarene sect, the Jesus people, if you say to them, away with the atheists, godless Christians, wrong God. So Polycarp said, I'm happy to comply. And he pointed up to the pagans in the crowd and said, away with the atheists. Which basically set Quadratus off into a fury and he ordered his execution. Polycarp was taken to the center of the arena and they brought nails with them to nail him to the stake. And he said, you don't need nails. I'll stand here and take what comes for Jesus. They bound him with a rope to the stake and set him aflame. But church history says a wind blew in such a way that swelled around him so the flames didn't touch him. So what happened then was the executioner took a dagger, ran up to Polycarp and just plunged it into his heart and killed him. All of that could have been avoided if Polycarp had just said two words, Kaiser Curios. That 86-year-old man. But he actually had said, I have served Christ for 86 years. He's never forsaken me. So how can I forsake him now? Jesus ho curios. Jesus is Lord. And here we are as a result of that bravery. And we can flourish under the same Logos word and stand for him now and forevermore, together, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.